Hey, Stevie Taylor here. Welcome to episode 44 of the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I've got another cracker of an episode for you in master drummer David Jones. So I hope you can stick around for that. Stick. See what I did there? Drumstick. Drummer. Drum. Never mind. Look, if you really dig the show, please subscribe and please share. Get the word out there. If you want to check out our social media pages, uh, we've got a page on Instagram and Facebook. Just cruise over there and, and type in the Gig Life podcast into the uh, search bars there. And um, look, you know what to do after that. If you want to contact me, you can reach me on those social media pages also. And lastly, if you have something you want to advertise on the show, send me an email, thegiglifepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll see what I can do. Now, are you ready? My guest today is master drummer David Jones. David's brilliant career of over 45 years spans all types of music, playing with some of the greatest musicians in every style. From John Farnham to James Morrison, Dragon to Dame Kitty to Kanawa, Don McLean to John Denver, Tate Miller-Heidke to Tommy Emmanuel, the WDR Big Band to John Williams, Crossfire and the legendary Pyramid. But what sets David apart from the others is his solo drum compositions approach and solo performances. I'd known of David since I moved to Australia in the late 90s. Um, His face was all over the local drum magazines, um, pictures of him in the drum shops. He He just seemed to be everywhere. A while back, a good friend of the podcast, Sam McNally, contacted me and said, look, David was coming to town to do a gig with him and Tommy Emmanuel, and that we should try and meet up and have a chat because, you know, it would really be something special. So Sam made the introduction via email, we started chatting, we set it up, and yeah, we made it happen. So I'm so glad it happened. Um, we met at an outdoor coffee shop in the main street of Marrickville, so plenty of people around, traffic going by, planes overhead, so I do apologise for the noise. Um, I had to use a few of my uh, audio tricks to quieten some of the noise down at times, especially the planes, but look, it came out great and, and I'm wrapped with it. I hope you take away as much from this chat as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the one, the only, the master, David Jones. Cheers. Well, I think we're rolling. Wonderful. David Jones. Welcome, Stevie. <laughs> welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, mate. Yeah, Thank you. Mate. Yeah, this sort of came together quite quickly, didn't it? it very quickly and a bit of synchronicity going yeah, on. Absolutely, and thanks to our friend Sam McNally. Yeah, and yep. just in Sydney for the day. Yep. So to play you... with Tommy and his, uh, Tommy Emmanuel is doing right. his workshop at Lazy Bones today. Yep. And yep. Yeah, it's a beautifully unusual situation, you yep. know. And yep. Sam thought, gee, let's get together because we haven't, the three of us haven't played since uh, 1981. Right, right. <laughs> With the John Farnham band. I think I saw a video of 
I think Sam put something up. Oh, on hold Instagram. the line! I think it's was that? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Going yeah. for it. It was an amazing band. Yeah, it was the first uh, rock band that John Farnham had. Right. Because he was Johnny Farnham, a, a variety, yeah, 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 a variety artist for many years, and he really wanted to get into that scene of and doing what he does best, which is really going for it. I mean, he's a hundred percent every performance. Yeah, I remember that mm. really distinctly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were the band before um, Whispering Jack, you know, when it really, right. really went to yeah, another level. It took off. But still, even at that stage, it was pretty, pretty amazing what we were doing, you know. Mm. Sometimes 23 days straight, you know, through Queensland. I remember, <laughs> remember some of the tours. It was, you know, we had roadies and it was quite well organised. It yep. was um, big gigs and yep. then some were small because John was still, you know, starting something fresh. Mm. But yeah, great to be back. Great. Yeah. I lived in Sydney for 14 years, so it's, right. it's always another home, you know, right. homecoming when I come here. Yeah. 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 And what, what were those years you were living here? Uh, that from was when? from 1985. Okay. <clears throat> and I had a very huge life change, and I needed to change everything. And so I'm from Melbourne, my hometown's Melbourne. I was born in Richmond, yep. city lad, uh, and. Uh, <clears throat> So the change to Sydney was a very good timing because for years and years and years I had many offers to come to Sydney to join different bands and and when I arrived in Sydney it was pretty loose, you know, I'd actually all of a sudden just left town, left Melbourne and didn't really tell anyone because I was okay. in such a a changed uh, state of mind, you know. It was okay. like a really, really huge. Was this when you shift. started getting into meditation? Yeah, it was. Right, yeah, right. And so, I really so needed it. Still, so you needed yeah. a complete I needed breakaway. It. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, because I was really at the stage where, you know, starting early days in my career, um, <clears throat> I'd had a full career up to age 26. You know, pretty much done everything possible in Australia. You know. And Melbourne was similar to Sydney at that t at that stage, <clears throat> and so basically, you know, I put my mind to various things like I want to be in the jazz sort of field, I want to be in the rock sort of thing, I want to do television, I want to do jingles and sessions. So I was doing that from age 18, you know. Uh, sorry, age 14. I was yep. playing three nights a week when I was 14, gigs at age 12. So I was very very fortunate, and I. I'd sort of burnt out, you know, I'd really burnt out and also hit the, the um, alcohol really strongly because what was happening for me was there was not a strong spiritual base in my life, even though I was brought up in a in Catholic religion and loved it, you know, I had a really beautiful experiences. Um, I began searching for something that was more suited to me because a, a lot of the answers I couldn't find, you know, in... And so it was concurrent with my music making too because I was starting to get a little bit lost with that too. And I was, so even I, I would say from early teens I was really searching, mm. searching in so many ways. And so the music and meditation really came together around age 26, moved to Sydney and it was um, yeah, the coming together of a, a perception of where music comes from and more than perception, I feel it's the truth. It comes from silence first, you know. It comes from a very deep stillness. Yep. Because like... Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, like with a painter, 
generally they start with a blank canvas, you know. Right. And so the potential on that blank canvas, you know, white, usually white canvas, any possible amount of patterns and colours and textures can happen in that space, you know. So you always start with something blank. And uh, same with music. We do start from silence first. And what I mean by silence is we never have true silence. There's always sound. And there's the sound of our own mind. You know, we're always thinking. But to still that to whatever degree creates a big space where that silence or space for me even from early days and and especially it deepens as I go along from that space there's all potential sounds harmonies, melodies, rhythms and it just creates a a feeling that you have all the time in the world as well rather than starting from a messy mind and very fast mind and almost a bit frantic you know and that's how I probably was for quite a few years you know it was always good energy you know it's always up energy but a bit too frantic working on nervous energy and so the drink made a lot of sense I was trying to maintain a high all the time which is not realistic but you know the the euphoria and the amazing states that we can reach in music as you know I mean you, you whether we're listening or playing, especially playing and connecting with other people, it just takes you to this other state that sometimes words are not adequate for what that what that is. And so I was really searching for making that more consistent. And I do remember something that put me on track, or at least put me into a feeling of this something there that I I haven't found yet. It was um, playing with Peter Couples. Peter Couples of Stylus, of Stylus, yeah, yeah he's an incredible singer and songwriter and guitarist, conga player as well. And um, he had his own, you know, solo bands. And I remember distinctly, I was about 19 years of age, and <clears throat> we're playing at the Hatters Castle. It was on the corner of Punt Road, Turek Road, a pub that's still there, but it's a different name now. It was a great gig. It was a fantastic gig. I'm pretty sure it was a regular Friday or something. Anyway, I remember one night something quite special happened. And it put me on the alert for what is this, what is this state, you know, because it was quite dramatic. It was the end of three sets, you know, the end of the night, and it was one of those really fast tunes. It was full on, you know going for it and then a whole lot of horn players came down to have a blow at the end of the night so this this tune kept going and going and going and as another saxophone player would come up and a trumpet player it just kept going for ages and I thought whoa I hope my body keeps going because I've stopped yeah, right. <laughs> I was looking down seeing my hands all yeah. frantic and yeah. feet going and everything yeah. just watching and you, it you were drinking not that not night that, not, that, right. not, yeah, yeah. not so much like that, that night Ladies and gentlemen, we're sitting outside a cafe on the main street of Marrickville. <laughs> Just around from Lazy Bones. Just around the Cap- corner from the Lazy Bones, so excuse the plane noises and the, the people and traffic. But that's, it's all good. It's all good. It's, it's all, all good. life going yeah, on. It's very, very comfortable. Yeah. In the shade under a nice umbrella. Yeah, with coffee's uh, good too. Coffee's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that night, yeah, it kept playing, but I was observing everything from a distance. But okay. it was quite dramatic. Right. It wasn't just a concept of being at a distance. Yep. I was literally above my body. Yep. 
as sometimes is described like a near-death experience or something, you know, that you're really, really distant to everything, watching from above yep. somehow. It's yep. really amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't sustain that state. Mm -hmm. It's like very, yeah, dramatic. Anyway, so I was looking down and thinking, I hope my body keeps going. <laughs> I've stopped. <laughs> right. I'm just watching it all go. And, uh, and then maybe it was a minute, who knows how long it was. It felt like eternity in a good way. It was so blissful, you know, so euphoric. And then thrust down into the body, here I come, you know. And oh, wow. And then having to deal with back here again. What was that? <laughs> wow. And so every so often there were little signposts along the way of that state. After. Yeah. But all, always a happy accident. Right. Nothing I could predict. Nothing that was... Um, consistent so I was on the lookout I was really searching and uh, so when I did it was actually through Sam who we've been just talking about Sam McNally dear dear friend from many many years great musician and he came to my place at, at around 1984 and he was different I thought Sam what's going on because I thought whatever he's on I want some of it yeah right <laughs> Right. <laughs> it was so peaceful. Right. And he was just sitting very present with me, you know. Because with great respect to my friend, you know, like me, he was quite frantic in the early days. Just going from, even visiting was frantic, you know. Right. Go and tick off a few boxes of just seeing people. Mm. But he was there and he was present and very peaceful, calm. And oh, it was so attractive. He said, oh, I've just been doing this meditation for three months or so. Mm. I said, well, I was showing. He said, would you like to go to the centre tonight? You know, it was all spontaneous. I said, yeah. So from then, I you know, went to meditation centre in Fitzroy in, in Melbourne and lots of people dressed in white looked a bit weird to me, but the vibe was like, oh, my goodness, I'm mm. home. This is... And then, you know, sat in a room with, a, with my partner at the time, Debbie, and we just asking questions of a man who used to go to a school with Sam, actually. <laughs> he was living in the centre. Yeah. And he was so sweet. He was so wonderful. And every question I asked, it was just a simple, very clear answer. And I thought, yeah, oh, this is fantastic. This is what I've been searching for, you know. So many answers. Right. And simple. Very simple, simple. yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'd got very complex right. in my thinking. And right. Even the books I was reading. Here it comes. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are these are um, more directional mics. Yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're, they're um, dynamic mics. They're not. Yeah. yeah so for me, it was really um, deep inside the core of me. I, I found what I was looking for, and I recognised it. Yep. And so that's where a lot of change happened. But musically, what happened for me was I wasn't hearing. I know you'll understand this. You know, in a feeling way, I wasn't hearing really loud and abrasive sounds anymore. I really wanted to explore very subtle, not just gentle, but still powerful, but in a different way. Yep. Coming from that stillness, it, it really changed my music making. And it was, um, it was revelation after revelation of, you know, even one brush stroke, how mm. much music can be in that, you know. Mm. So I think it just brought me back to reset you know like right. reset what is sound what does sound do how does 
vibration, you know, your your intention carry through sounds, you know, how does that work? And and rather than being being a study like a scientific study, it was I was experiencing it. Right. Yeah, it was like, oh my goodness, this is profound. Now I'm sort of tapping into ancient cultures, you know, in a vibrational way, even yeah. without studying it. I was feeling, ah, oh, this is where music comes from. It's mm. communication of the soul, you know. It's like mm. something very, very much deeper than I ever thought about. But I felt there was something I was missing. Right. And it absolutely, and it still continues after 35 years, you know. Yeah, yeah, cons- yeah. Continues to develop the expression and the way of connecting and and the embracing now of everything. Mm. Even the big sounds and the... I love dynamics. You know, I love playing really strongly. I mean, I'm sure we'll be playing pretty strongly today. Today, yeah. yeah. So it's not even about dynamics and playing softly, you know, in a meditative way. Mm. Although I love that too. But, mm. you know, for me, music is all about spectrum. Yeah, I understand. So, and many different types of spectrum. So from very soft to very loud, very heavy to very light. You know, gossamer sort of like um, harmonics to really deep sounds yep. and everything in between. So yep. can have all the fast to slow. So I just love the... I, I suppose I've really developed, without studying orchestral music, I've really d- developed an orchestral approach to music. Right. Even if it's a small group, even if it's solo, right. solo concerts that I yep. do. and yep. Which, you know, in coming back in Sydney um, in May... Just a, it's about a month month away, or no, it's only a few weeks. Coming to play a solo concert, but two sets, right? Solo drum music, you know, yep. at five oh five, venue five oh five, you know, right. that club. Have so, you been there? Yeah, I, I, I know where it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the that show that you're putting on, the, the songs that you're playing, are they are they formed compositions, or you just have, you just have a framework? And oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. It is a framework. Yeah, and they tend to come out similarly yeah. because each show that I put together is usually about three months of development. Okay. You know, if not every day, every second day, for hours, Oof. even really refining the setup as well yep. and the t- and the, the tuning. Ch- so that, with, I've yeah. got that down to ask you about, <coughs> about your Excuse tuning. Me, yeah. Yep. So with the drums, uh, usually we don't tune to notes yep. to pitch, but when you do... Oof which I've done in studio work sometimes, mm. you know, actually tuning to the track. Yep. Intuitively, you know, there's, know. there's an, a tonic there, a main note, and there you can have some harmonies off that. So with the drums, if, if it's actually in tune with the track, there's a sonority there, there's this beautiful resonance that doesn't happen otherwise. Yep. It'll still sound great, you know, according to the engineer and the mixing and all that. But when it's actually in the pitch, there's something really magical that can happen. And so when I'm doing solo concerts, it's that approach, not tuning for different tracks, but uh, pieces, but I have a, a singing bowl, a Tibetan singing bowl, yep. that actually when you rub it, it's yep. A440, it's spot on. Right. I didn't realize when I first bought it, I was just buying it for the incredible resonance and harmonics. So I tune my 12-inch tom to that, and then a fourth or fifth is next to that is a smaller drum, which is the 10. Yep. And that's either a, an E or a D. And then I've got a little G or F sharp tom up the top, depending. Because sometimes you find, because of the head, if it gets older, it might sit even a semitone lower or something. Right. But even with the F or the G, I'm still in A minor. So. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the whole, yeah. whole thing becomes A minor. But yeah. And then I've got a, a resonating bell that's actually a G bell. I've got a little Tibetan um, tingshas, they're called, a little bell that hangs off my cymbal stand. Beautiful harmonic, you know, it's just this incredible note. And that's uh, an A. So I've got an F sharp cowbell as well. Yep. What so about the kalimba? What is that in a. Is yeah. That, is that. Yeah, that's, that to that's tuned as well. Yeah, right. so that's a G major scale. Okay. Yeah, and it goes left to right rather than, you know, like piano goes left to right or right to left. Yep. But this is alternating left to right. Yep. So low, da 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 and yep. your fingers are going outwards yep. <laughs> rather than one way. I was, listening, uh, I was listening to that. You posted something on your uh, Instagram probably two or three videos ago, and you're, you're playing the show, and uh, I think the cello bass player is sitting next to you. And you're you're playing on the kalimba, and then you bring the drums in, and then ooh, something with your hand. You, <laughs> yeah, you that's make this, right. Oh man, I, I must have watched that fifty times. Oh, eh? that's beautiful. It was great. Thank it was fantastic. you. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Stevie. Really cool. Well, what you can do um, that sound almost like a whale sound. Yeah. Is just a little bit of moisture on your second finger, thumb behind the second finger, and you just get you get it to vibrate. Yep. Across the head, yep. with that little bit of moisture, just a tiny bit of pressure, you get a harmonic. Right. And so the whole drum sings. Was that on the floor, Tom, or you yeah, floor Tom? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't quite see where your hand mm. was. Yeah. And you can achieve that effect also with, you know, the bouncy balls you get in a supermarket yeah. for parties. Yeah. <laughs> Here they come. <laughs> Here they come. Yeah. <laughs> that crossover was brought to you by Jetstar. <laughs> 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 yes, the other way to achieve this similar effects or even more dramatic is uh, the bouncy balls, which are the um, super ball, yeah. you know, the very high bounce, um, yeah. and just a little bit of a skewer through it. You've yeah. got to be careful where you pierce the ball because right. it can split. Yep. But um, if you have that on a stick, you know, on the skewer, yeah. and run it across the drum, right. it can sound like not only whales, it can sound very deep, like a bowed bass, you know, like um, right. bowing uh, an acoustic bass. Right. And if you're very, very even and slow with it, you'll, you'll get notes, you know, it'll actually sound like a chord. Is that the same ball and skewer that you had attached to your, blue, looked like blue tack to your cymbal? <laughs> yeah, And then you're hitting right. it, it's, it's yeah. when your cymbal's... Yeah. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah, yeah. You've done a bit oh, of yeah, research yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I love uh, the whole notion of activation and for piano players you know sometimes they put they call it prepared piano so they have a whole lot of things inside the piano right. to activate jingle jingle things and jangle and right. create other harmonics and, and really interesting sounds and percussive sounds as well yeah same with drums you you know you can which i think has become a little bit more fashionable now in the last sort of Four, four to five years I've seen this happen where people have got um, shells on the snare or yep. not just a wallet or something yeah, but, yeah, but other little sound source yep. things you know and the, the, the dish mo- uh, not dish mops the um, dish cloths you know yep. the table yep. <laughs> what do you call it <laughs> yeah little. just the chuck wipes yeah, 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 yeah that's become real um, like the the Ringo Starr sort of drum sound you know with the, the yeah, cloths all over the drums yep. and so if you get into other things where there can be activation or generation of lots of other notes, that starts to get really interesting, for me at least, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because with one strike of the brush or the stick or the hand, then if it's that bouncing ball or the brush, mm. 
hanging off, you know, with a bit of blue tack off the rim. Mm -hmm. For one one activation, you can get three or four, or even a few. So it's got this sort of almost uh, electronic effect. Da 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 da. Yeah, right. Da 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 da. Or da 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 da. And I'm only hitting once, striking once, but I'm getting four or two. Da 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 da. That's awesome. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other video I saw. I think you had six. Brushes. Oh wow! Playing around with that one, oh, yeah, trying yeah, to get, yeah, and you get your, your hand is literally going like this, bouncing. If you kick, well, obviously you yeah, can't see me. Yeah, yeah. My fingers are bouncing up and down, and you're just hitting each brush, and they're all That's it. vibrating at different different, different times. Rates. And then you basically let it go, and it's it's doing its, it's thing. doing its thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah oh, you yeah. know, the kitchen for a drummer is a yeah. a special place. You know, because yeah. well, it's the whole pots and pans <laughs> thing, isn't it? That's where it all started. It is. Little did we know, there's all this other stuff. You know. Because you know, my daughter, she sorry, right? she yeah. likes to pull out things like skewers and 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 um, not so much putting the ball on the end, but we might experiment with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she likes pulling out like implements like that, and making different sounds, and yeah. Oh, it's wonderful, and yeah. it's. I think it's one of the things for a human being that's such a creative. Enjoyment. Yep. I'd say enjoyment. I was going to say endeavour, but it's not endeavouring at all. It's, it's just enjoying the, the magic and mystery of sounds, you know, and percussion particularly. They're just worlds within worlds and not just percussion. I mean, you have even one string attached yep. to something. Yep. And if it resonates, then, you know, even you rub a band on a, yep. <laughs> yep. on a little plastic, you know, tube if you're taking some nuts to work or something, you yep. know. Yep, yep. Um, there's, there are sounds everywhere and I probably got into it a little too much at one point I was so obsessed right. you know I'm thinking in my late teens into early 20s in a good way obsessed but right. I had to calm down as well okay. you know and so I just note things now you know mm. whether sometimes recording it on my zoom or on my phone uh, nature sounds too right. and particularly nature sounds like orchestral Right. Symphonies, aren't they? Hang on, what's that? I've got something written here. Um, remember the name of the place. Oh, you're playing the Hall's Gap Fence. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> that right. <was> brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So the basically, what what it what it is, people was there's this looked like a stainless steel railing, didn't it? Yes, that's around, right. Yeah. Around this lookout. Yep. And you're just playing the individual poles in between and it sounds like you got the compression crank right up on you yeah you can hear your feet shuffling along yeah the that's <laughs> right it was all from the phone so it just caught everything somehow and you know sometimes you're walking along even a railing on a on a stairwell yeah. sorry you're not going to bother us sitting there absolutely yeah yeah absolutely no no you're not going to bother us at all okay so you're very you're you're famous now you're, you're famous now radio <laughs> So, you, you know, sometimes you're even walking up a stairwell and you touch one of the stair um, railings, you yeah, know, like and there'll be pitch. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I'm always um, really intrigued with that. And so when we were at Hall's Gap, each one of those is all different. Yeah. Different pitch. And it looked like the. Fantastic. looked like they were different lengths, too. Different lengths, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's almost like the crystal glasses with the different yeah, exactly. levels of water in it. Exactly. Just, yeah. Exactly. Fantastic. Love yeah. all that. So when you're. You, do you think of this stuff when you're meditating? Or That's a good question too. Yeah. That's a beautiful because you've question. Got, you've got that. Yeah. You've got no noise. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't meditate myself, and it's something that I 
I'm certainly interested in. Because going back to what you're saying, life's crazy. So much going yeah, on. And so many layers. And yeah, I, I struggle yeah. to kind of to um, calm down, I guess. Sure. Same sort of thing. So. Sure. And we all need our own strategies, you know, yep. that work. Yep. And especially like we were talking about before, if we can stay away from – this is for our listeners. I'm just wanting mm. to – share you know if we can stay away from any chemical inter- intervention mm. i mean we're having coffee now because yep. we like coffee yeah and it's been an early morning that's <laughs> one, yeah. one coffee a day i think i used to have about seven or eight a day right and wondered why i got palpitations you know that was and maybe one to get up in the morning and before a 10 o'clock session yep you know uh, Recording session, another coffee, yeah, that's, just to get going. That's me, you know. man. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, I think we just gradually, or sometimes it's suddenly, realise, ah, maybe I don't need as much of this. Maybe it's something to do with changing my thinking. Yep. And allowing some spaces, you know. Right. Because I, I have a little saying for myself. It's very, very simple, Stevie, and I know you'll relate to this. That if we're trying to create some time it'll never happen even yep. for a holiday you know when's that going to happen unless i actually determine very strongly right that weekend i'm going away i'm not going to put the phone on and maybe once a day just to check if there's an emergency but you know if you're in an area where there's no coverage sometimes yep. it's liberation yep. but you know unless we determine that this is my time then it's not going to happen so the same with every day. We need just what's called me time, you know, just something, even if it's five minutes. Yep. But I would suggest, you know, it's better if it's 10 or 15 or even half an hour. Yep. It's just your own time just to sit, ponder, think about things mm. in a really gentle, methodical way, you know. Mm. It's called reflection. Or you mm. could call it contemplation. You could it just it's thinking, you know, but yep. thinking in a much more positive way, away from all the activity. Yeah. And then we get a different perspective. And then if we bring some spiritual thoughts into it, and I'm saying the word spiritual rather than religious. You I know. understand. Yeah. I mean, religions are very, very beautiful in their essence, yep. but they've really grown away as like branches of a tree. Yep. It's in the twigs now. Mm-hmm. It's in the... It's very diluted. And some are keeping the, the original essence, and that's very beautiful. Yep. But we need to find that for ourselves too, sure. the, the original essence of spirituality and... So, you know, just bringing a spiritual thought into your mind in that quiet time that we create, we don't wait for that, yeah. um, <clears throat> then that can actually change things. Mm. I know if I got a bit upset about, you know, even after 35 years, I still get irritated by things, you know, sometimes angry, but nowhere near what was happening in the past, you know. And I just watch it now. I think, oh, okay, what's this about? Where did I sort of get upset about that sort of situation and then I have a whole line of thoughts you know mm. to help myself through that almost you know talk myself through it and then having a bit of space then I get get to another level where I'm actually looking down as an observer into that situation almost like rehearsing yep. and act you know like an actor yep. well what what's a better thing to say next time you know okay I made a mistake there that's okay I'll figure myself so whatever the situation, I get another view on it, like a much higher view, of almost like the higher self looking on. And so that every day I feel for every human being is essential mm. you know, in whatever form it takes. But it is, it's thinking in a beautiful way, you know, in a really right. spiritual way. And so the saying that I've had for many years is, don't wait, create. Yeah, good one. 
just create the time for yourself, you know? Yeah. Usually early on in the morning is good before things start. Yeah. Or late at night, you know, as musicians, we know that. Sometimes you get home after a gig and it's this beautiful, sublime quietness and you think, yeah. oh, this is so wonderful. Yeah. And you're so tired by that stage, but you don't want it to end. Mm -hmm. You know, you think, oh, I better go to bed sometime <laughs> before the sun comes up again. Yeah, it's so lovely. It's yeah. so attractive yeah. in that state. And, you know, if there is some work to be done at that point, you know, in the middle of the night, it's a very clear thing because there's no, no distraction unless I create the distraction. Right. So the early morning, or very uh, mid of the night, yep. very beautiful time for creation, you know. Mm. Creative thinking, new thinking, very different thinking. Can Inspirations can pop up from the subconscious because of less distraction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always on the, again, the word lookout, you know, comes up, but I'm on the alert for that, you know, to create that. Yep. And I've just... For many years now, love early morning meditation. It's just, it's nothing like it. And again, rather than being a religion or an obligation, you know, religion be, does mean way of life. So it's become way of life for me that, sure. you know, I build that into my lessons too. You know, every lesson yeah. starts with breathing. Right. Even if someone's not so receptive to meditation, and I understand that, but at least we can breathe together, you know, yeah. and for rehearsing, yep. for concerts for recording another soy soy latte yes thank you yeah no sugar thank I'll you. have a small cappuccino yeah thank you and what would you uh, like soy two sugars thanks our listeners what would you like now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's great um now where did music all start for you let's roll right back wow right to the beginning yeah musical family at all there's not a family history in, you know, it's not in the genealogical line. Mm -hmm. Although I think the arts in different forms have been there. Yeah. I was very inspired by one of my uncles on my father's side. He was a sign writer. And I thought I was going to become a sign writer because I was into drawing. Yeah. Uh, not so much painting. Well, it, beca it became like painting later, but you know those Derwent pencils? You know, the, all the colours? Mm -hmm. I used to love those. <laughs> just being able to shade things differently. and So I was totally into drawing as my brother, Kevin, is too. I'm not so much doing it now, but it became music, if that makes sense. It became patterns, colour, texture in drumming. Right. So it was the pots and pans came out and there was a bit more seriousness than, you know, I think most children play mm. with sounds. But so there was that early method methodical, yeah. Yeah, instead of just... Having a whack and doing a beat. Yeah, there was something work, going there on. There was something going on. Yeah. Right. Experimenting with sounds. Experimenting with and sounds, yeah. Pots and pans and knitting needles on the yep. couch. And yep. we had one of those old Bakelite stands, stands you know, light yep. that had a little ring. We, it was a really interesting sort of design and it had a bell sound on it. Right. So I was always looking for really special, unusual sounds. Playing grooves, yep. but all this, also the sounds just took me mm. into some other space, you know, mm. right from early. So somehow the drawing became music. And there was a lot of music in my brother and my sister and myself, you know, in the family then, but not historically. So it's very fascinating to see that, wow, I wonder where this came from. It's mm. in the soul, you know, it's deeper in the soul that had to emerge. It was felt like that. What age was it? Oh, this is from... 
probably age 10 or 11, okay. the, the drumming. Later on. So I've got just two little bongos first. Yep. Bongo set. So I'd be pitch bending already, you know, trying to get right. as many sounds as possible just yep. with my hands. Maybe I had sticks. I don't think brushes at that point. but And then a snare drum, just a little basic snare drum with a tiny little stand off the yep. snare stand with a little cymbal. Yep. So I'd, uh, I'd nod my head for when my brother or sister, cause I, because I was the eldest, I could do this. I'd say, now, <laughs> so they could turn it on or off so for the tom-tom sounds. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was very, thank you, I was very fortunate because uh, from ver- very early age, uh, I remember playing at the end of school dance for much older kids, you know, playing along to records, but in the, the school hall, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I was already performing from a very young age and the buzz of that was just tremendous. You know, this young kid playing for the older kids at school, it was yeah. a big thing, you know. And then playing for dancing school concerts, and you know, and um, so I th- I'm pretty sure I was gigging, even if I wasn't paid gigging, uh, from about age 11, 12, you know. And so I was playing three nights a week when I was 14, right, at the Bridge Hotel in Richmond, which right. was just around from Channel Nine, the old Channel Nine <coughs> uh, TV station. And one of the members of the band, David Langdon, was a copyist. In uh, you know, he's doing the, the arrangement copying for the, the charts, it yep. was hand copied, and so I sort of studied that. And I thought, gee, that, that'd be a good thing to have on the side, you know, mm. if the drumming is going through tough times or whatever. Because yep. I knew I was going to be a drummer, yep. it was pretty obvious by that yep. stage. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I just left school when I was 17, I was already gigging, yeah, okay, yep. very fortunate, yeah. And uh, so the copying that's become part of how I write my. Music sheets, right. I do by hand. You still do it by hand. Yeah, with yeah. Lo- lots of little flourishes and very artistic. So yeah. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. the art has come out that way right. sure. as well, you know. For sure. So I'm just putting that two and two together now. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. It, is. yeah. it comes out in different ways, you know. Sure. And so I was very, again, fortunate because my reputation spread very quickly that there's this young drummer through Billy Hyde's, the old Billy, Billy Hyde's. Um, store, the original one, was underneath Billy Hyde's house right. in Flemington. It was in the basement, kind of garage thing. There was teaching there and they were selling drums and I think my dad just got me to play for Billy Hyde and uh, I was about 12. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, he looks like he's ready for gigs. Yep. And Mike Lynch, uh, who was the head sales guy there, really lovely guy as well. Billy was beautiful, you know, beautiful man. And an incredible drummer. Uh, and Mike Lynch also, he, he was very helpful. I'd just get these calls every weekend to come and fill in for someone. Because there's so many gigs around then. Right. If some drummer was sick, and, and they might have been in their 30s or 40s, and I'm turning up a 12-year-old playing and with no rehearsal. Right. So it just developed such a, an ability to listen and hear things as it was happening. Were you having any listens? Technique no, like not at that stage. Okay. No, I, I picked up a lot yep. by myself. Mm-hmm. I had lessons later with yep. Garth Thompson, really great drummer in The Strangers. There was a great pop band that had big hits in Australia in the mm-hmm. 60s. Yep. Beautiful teacher. He's still teaching, and I'm not sure if he's playing as much, but wonderful man. I know I, know I take a lot from his teaching method and his respect for everyone. He would call them by name a lot. Like, you know when you've been called by your name yep. really respectfully, like, sure. David, come in, now what have you been practicing, you know? Right. It was just a deep 
equals, so you have a feeling of That's equals. It. And I think, wow, yep. you know, this experienced drummer treating me, and I was only 15. Yeah. Um, I had the same, I had the same type of teacher, Lance Phillip, in, in New Zealand. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Same, exactly the same. It's so on a, on a level. It's so it's, empowering. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, you feel. That's mentoring, I feel, yep. rather than just teaching. It's really helping someone get to another level sure. of yeah. their life Absolutely. and their playing as yep. well, and through the playing. <clears throat> so, yeah, Garth Thompson, fantastic teacher, beautiful man, great drummer. And so I was about a year and a half with him. I'd already, I had taken some other lessons, but they were not worth much at all. Yep. And, you know, with great respect, they, they, I wasn't shown much. Yeah, right. <laughs> But it was a, it was a good contrast to have as well later when I became a teacher of how not to do things, yep. especially having a whole group of drummers on pads in one room, you know, or different levels. It just wasn't working, you know, a, without naming the music school. But you know, it was just not really happening at all. Yep. But but with Garth, um, he'd taken a lot of things from Graham Morgan. Graham was the first um, well Australian drummer, and he's of course Melbourne drummer. Icon. He's an icon of drumming in our in our history, and to this day, he was going across. Probably the first person from Australia going across and studying with Jim Chapin, right, and with Murray Spivak, and a lot of the legends of um, drumming technique and drumming yep. con- concepts. Yep. And um, Garth had taken some things from from um, him in that way. So he passed on some of that, and also he had the reel to reel in the room you know, recorder, but playing with headphones to, let's say, Blood, Sweat and Tears and Chicago and all this great stuff with charts. I'd oh. already started reading charts and doing floor shows and things and with, again, no rehearsal. Right. But I knew I had to get my reading to another level and Garth really helped with that as well. And also another whole set of concepts with polyrhythms too. Mm. Yeah, that Graham and Garth and a few, only a few others, you know, in Australia were really onto mm. at that time. So I was, yeah, again, great, greatly fortunate. And so then I was off myself and teaching, right. actually teaching at that same place in, right. underneath Billy Hyde's house. Right. You know, at what age? About 18, 17. Wow, great. Yeah, yep. and teaching much people, you know, people much older than myself. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I was given a lot of opportunities and I created them as well. And because sometimes we say, oh, wow, that's so lucky. But I was creating my luck. Big, well, you've got to you know, you know what you're doing. Yeah, you? exactly. And you, you practice. They say right place, right time, but you, I mean, that's that too. There's a part there's of that, that too. but you, yeah. you've also got to know what you're doing. Yeah, when you're there, you that's know? right. Yeah, yeah. There's a natural gift, and, and really, sometimes I was given the, a lovely title of radar, you know, from MASH. Yeah, yeah. Radar, because I always had the radar up and I looked a bit like a radar. Yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> With yeah. those glasses. <laughs> but the radar was up with, like, listening. Yeah, right. You know, it was a beautiful compliment, you know, that yeah. I was always yeah. listening, listening to blend and to pl- play the right grooves for things and, and recording a lot from age 18 or 17, really. Jingles, film sessions. It was probably about a four or five year period. It was a golden period, just the end of that golden period of session work. Yeah. I was, again, very lucky because... Oh my goodness, I've played so many different sessions yeah. and different styles with click track, sometimes without click track. Yeah. You know, the early days, you might have heard these stories um, where if it was 29 seconds 
add, they'd already t timed it out pretty much, yep. but without a click, the drummer would have to bring it in yep. at that time. So and you get really good at it. You know, they'd say, oh, that's a little bit over. That's about 30.5. Can you bring it back to 20? <laughs> we, we need it at 29. And so you just pull back your tempo, just that tiny, yeah. tiny bit, right. and just land it. It was so satisfying being able to do things like that and very quickly. Yep. So sometimes it was two or three sessions a day. Yeah. Well, you might do one a month now. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm not speaking begrudgingly. No, no, it's just a different scene. Different scene. There are other great things happening now. Of course. Yeah. And it's a very different environment, musical environment. The world's different. Sure. Yeah, but gee, I, I remember learning so much in sessions. Every time I did a session, I'd come away with another heightened perception of time. And hearing yourself back too, you know, it's like being under the microscope. You know, yep. Every little tiny nuance yep. is amplified to a great degree. And we used to call it the cringe button sometimes if they just solo the bass drum. Think, uh oh, okay, we've got to work on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a little bit ahead of the title. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, really, really uh, special days and. No less now, special in different ways. Much, much deeper now. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, going back to that time, there were so many bands, singers, so many projects. And I, I didn't even have the concept. I didn't have the concept early days of starting my own projects until Pyramid. Pyramid so that, that was, was um, David Hirschfelder. Yep. Myself and Jeremy Alsop, great bass player and great composer, actually, both of them. And we were jamming, and you know, three youngsters, yeah. 18, or we were probably 17 at that stage, mm. quite young guys, mm. really hot players, yeah. ready to go. We're in lots of different bands together and yeah. sometimes in different things. Yep. So, getting lots of experience, and we thought, let's do something of our own, you know. <clears throat> so, we'd cover chick career things and weather report type stuff yeah and i i do remember distinctly saying to the guys hey guys this is great but let's let's just improvise and come up with our own stuff and if my memory serves me correct i i, I do with self-respect say i was a real catalyst for that yeah because i was always wanting to create something different when I was covering other people's music as well yeah, yeah. so I thought gee this is a good opportunity let's just do our own music yeah. not even covering someone else's like you know fantastic stuff like Chick Corea but yeah. you'd sort of have to keep it along the lines of that composition you know unless you really did a rearrangement and whatever and so I remember some of the improvisations being oh just mind-blowing you know and we'd record it on a little cassette Walkman you know yeah and listen back and get further ideas and a lot of compositions came out of that and so yep. Pyramid was born. Right. And we got a, a slightly older musician than us at the time and he still is of course, Bobby Vinia, and he was in the ABC show band right. playing trumpet but also percussion. He's a great percussionist as well. And Bob was like our mentor, like our... <laughs> what do you call the word, you know, when someone's like a... Not a mascot. What's a? It's like a. There's a word. It'll come to me in a minute. But, but Bobby was, um, you know, the more experienced musician and kept us in a very unified sort of 
vibe, you know. It was a really special thing going on with three youngsters just going for it. Yep. And Bobby, and being Italian, you know, playing these beautiful romantic melodies over top of us just going crazy. Mm. It was a pretty potent, you know, combination. So, for whatever reasons, there was, you know, a falling out. Jeremy was no longer part of the band. That's another whole story. And, and then Roger McLaughlin, who was in Little River Band. Right. So Roger brought a whole other thing with respect to Jeremy, but um, a whole other thing of really solid, simple playing and earthed. David and I were like two young lions going at it. Right. And we needed something earthy underneath us that was just really solid yeah. to anchor everything. And uh, the, the late great Mike Clark was in the band for a little while. He unfortunately passed away due, due to drug use and... Oh my goodness, what another bass player there. Oh, yeah, right. incredible. Um, so Roger was like a composite of all the bass players I'd ever played with you. He had everything going. Yeah. Fretless, fretted, slapping, beautiful soloing, very melodic soloing, you know, which he still does and on to another whole to another level. But he had this really solid groove playing, which the band needed, you know. And so around the same time, I'd been playing with Brian Brown. And Brian is an icon in music, in not just Australia, but in the world, but hardly known. And it's, I don't feel sad about it. I just feel, isn't it interesting if you had someone like a Brian Brown, he's, you know, saxophone player, pan flutes, synthesizers, um, Western flute. <clears throat> he was like a luminous figure. And he started the course at the Victorian College of the Arts. Now, around that same time, he invited Jeremy and I to play in his band with Bob Sedigreen. So there was, you know, you sometimes look back and you see, wow, how pivotal that time was. You're just sort of flowing through it in life in general when it's all happening. Yep. You think, yep. okay, it's all happening and this is going on now. And But, gee, looking back and how much we were looked after, you know, as youngsters, you know, and Jeremy and I had this opportunity to play completely free with Bobby, Bob Sedigreen, on piano and keyboards. And, um, and Brian, was he, he passed away, I think it's now four years. He's one of the biggest influences in my life. And he's like my musical dad, you know? Right. Because I remember him saying to me, David, you just play whatever you want. And when you're given that license, mm. you know, and you're young and going for it, you, you feel us. It it's absolutely gives you the license. Was he also to, there to pull you back if you went? No. They just let you go. No. Right. No, he'd be right. getting masks out, and you know, oh, it's on, it's on. Okay, <laughs> and he'd be a huge gong that he'd sometimes play and bells and stuff, and we'd have you know incredible compositions. Love to send some to to you. Mm. Uh, it's on YouTube. You know, some from the first album that I. First creative album I played on was Brian's album, right. Bells Make Me Sing, it's called. Yep. And that was a phenomenal experience, you know, being in the studio and playing compositions but also completely free, where things could actually dissolve any at any time, right. just from a, a look or a right. gesture. Right. And I know that still informs how I love to improvise. Okay, well, I'm going to bring something up. I was watching another video of yours... You, you started. You started playing, and you brought out the uh, a couple of brooms. 
<laughs> you start playing these these brooms and then you stop and you get the crowd involved with the clap. Right. And I right. think you got them to run through it twice and then you just stood up with your brooms and you just you dissolved the crowd. <laughs> Literally with the with the sweeping of the brooms like this. And everybody just stopped. Yeah. And then you kept going again. I thought it was incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. It's so lovely to well, I was going to say lovely to make that connection, but I think, I feel for me it's essential, mm. especially my, my own projects and solo pieces and solo concerts. I feel the audience becomes part of the band. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we're in this together. Sure. I, it's not spe- it's separate that I'm on stage and you're sitting there. Yeah. I always feel we're doing this together. There's some, something that can happen that mm. may never happen again. You know, yeah. it's a very special event. Yeah rather than just another gig. Yeah, what I thought was extra cool was like you you um you didn't get them clapping that long and you you kind of you d- dissolved the crowd really quickly which for me I'm like it kept me on my seat. Oh, yeah, so yeah. if I was in the crowd I would be going, "Oh, wow, that's so cool. Can't wait to do it again." You know? yeah, yeah, I'd be watching for you to get us clapping again, yeah, you know. So brilliant. Really good, real clever. Thank you. And that invitation to be part of Yeah, yeah. Especially improvised music can be difficult for people to get a, a feeling of being part of it yep. to get it in, you know, to understand and feel what's going on so verbally we can, you know, invite them in certain ways just being as we are, you know, friendly and engaging and and describing what's going to happen That's yep. another thing because later with Bob Sedigreen the keyboard player, I've known for a long time so special, you know, we just did an improvisation gig recently and we do similar things, which is, you know, we really tune into each other. A lot of the rehearsing, if you like, for improvised music is actually just getting together like we're doing and having a tea or a coffee and yep. a chat. And a chat, yeah. And bonding, you know. And there's not much really that you have to play. It's actually being in the moment. Yep. <laughs> yep. And allowing things to occur yep. and to uh, connect up. And so I had a band... Well, it still exists, really. It didn't finish. But when I first came back to Melbourne in 2000, just before 2000, I wanted to put an improvising group together. And it was, I think I did have Brian in mind, you know, in some way. But it was completely improvised music. So a whole concert would be the first half of the concert or first set. This is with Bob Sedigreen on keyboards and Everpedes, Everpedu. And he's an incredible bass player. player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the great musicians of yeah. the world. He's yep. quite special. Such a gentleman and dear friend, dear, dear friend. So that band was called David Jones Trio. It was a, probably one of the first times I had the courage to call something under my own name. And so the first set would be all of us having a bit of a chat. So I'd introduce the thing. Every would have a bit of a chat. And he's very, very cosmic in a good way. He is very... Oh, sorry. That's not going to no, no, no. make a sound. Um, very cosmic, very spiritual man. He totally surrenders to the moment, you know. He's gone. He's, he's left, left the building but engaged completely, yep. you know, yep. with the music. Yep. Yep. So he'll come from that point of view. Bobby's so funny. Bob mm. Sedigreen, he mm. gets up on the mic and everyone's in fits of laughter. We haven't even <laughs> played a note yet. Yeah. So we invite people into... We're going to play for about 45 minutes this set. It's totally improvised music. We tell them about it. You know, and we did so many gigs like this, and people really appreciated being able to get a handle on what was going to happen. And then we'd say, Do you have a positive title for this piece? 
I know you haven't heard it yet. We haven't heard it. We don't know what we're going to play. What about a, something to inspire our thoughts and our intentions? And so all these incredible titles would be called out from the audience. Yep. And we'd say, what about this guy? Oh, yeah, that's good. And then there'd be usually one of them that was, like, glowing. It's like Voyage Beyond the Stars or something, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and so they feel like they're not only part of it, they've contributed a huge part of, like, we're thinking now that imagery and that feeling. Yeah, yeah. And then improvising. And then I do those cues, you know, I rehearse them five different cues. If I'm holding up one finger, it could be... Eighth notes. Mm-hmm. If I'm holding up two, it could be, you know, three, three, two, clave, mm-hmm. and just take them through it and rehearse it. And, it. and we're already again laughing and we're engaged. And then three could be shh, you know, with eighty people going yeah. shh, with dynamics, That's you know, yeah. and um, conducting them in a way as I'm playing. Oh my goodness, you know, and then. I know it's a sneaky one. Yeah. What about if I hold up four fingers and it's just go crazy? Ah, you know, <laughs> clap, clap. <laughs> so, so someone's done a solo, you know, yeah. kind of a feature part of the improvisation and I'm putting up four fingers and they just go crazy. <laughs> so uh, it just engages in a very, very direct way, you know. It's, awesome. uh, it's lovely. That's fantastic. So oh. Brian, yeah, Brian's a big part of my history. Yeah. Brian Brown. And... <clears throat> So to be now teaching there regularly, you know, three days a week and actually have an office at the College of the Arts, you know, at the Conservatory of Melbourne Uni it is, you know, is a great honour. I'm actually honorary fellow there at VCA. Right. And right. when I was in Brian's band, I was only 18, and he'd get me into two workshops, you know, and all the students were older than me, you know, some of them, most of them. So I have a huge history there as well with uh, the teaching part of things, you know, and I love teaching. I didn't have it right, Stevie, in the early days. I didn't have it right at all. I thought it was just an extra thing for extra money. And so I wasn't treating it with great, great respect. Sometimes I would if I had a really good student. And I do now look back and think, oh, gee, teaching beginners was a great thing, even though it was boring. I was bored at the time. Mm -hmm. But I really highly regard it now and seeing the contrast of... If I take beginners now, which is very rare, but if someone's super interested and they, I can not fast track them so much as I can get them into musical concepts very quickly yep. that are very deep, yep. simple, very deep, and the technical thing can just catch up to those concepts because the music comes first, I, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I believe, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the technique just serves you to play the things that you hear in your head, you know, yep. and you feel. Mm. So technique is never the master. The music is the yeah. Because it was always music for you first. You're always music first, yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I look back on the teaching. I think oh, okay, well, I didn't quite have it right there, but now I deeply respect it as though you know equal to any session or any gig or you know any concert situations. Uh, I want to be refreshed for it too. So I don't put too many students in the day. If I've got a few private students, it might be three maximum okay. with some breaks. Yep. So when I've got that person in the room, I'm completely with that person, gotcha. 100%, yep. and nothing else going on, you know, mm-hmm. where it was a little bit all over the place before. Yeah. yeah. I'd be just putting students putting in. Putting them through to get, yeah, get the money in. Yeah, yeah. 
not really totally understanding and respecting the the lineage. Yep. That's yeah, it's vital, I think, to human life, really. Mm. Fantastic. Um, I saw a solo video that you did. Um, I think you called it uh, Third Hand. Oh, Three Hands. Three yeah. Hands. Yeah. Three hands. Wow. It's another one I watched a few times. Your left hand is just, and you had something going on with your. It's just Feet the left hand and foot, yeah, yeah. and then your right hand's just. Composing, basically. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those uh, ostinato patterns yeah. that really works well to layer. It's like layers can happen at the same time, yep. which a lot of people are doing with looping these days. Yep. And I'm not the only one doing it. Of course, this has gone to another whole level with drummers and percussionists in the world. Yep. With ostinatos, meaning that there's a repeated pattern yep. or repeated two or three patterns yep. and one or two of them are solo lines meaning they're free to create things within that yep. framework yep. and that one the uh, three hands is the last three sixteenths so one e and a two e and a three e and a if it's on the hi-hat you've got your first one with the foot mm. so it sounds like four yeah one yeah. e and a two e and a three yeah, e yeah. and a so the left sure. hand or less dominant hands doing that and then you've other hands free completely to move all around the kit and gradually place it together, you know, in terms of practice, going from very simple things mm. to very, uh, very, very complex, even things of different uh, metre. So it's in 16ths, but then you could be playing triplets. Once you've got that ostinato very strong and clear and yep. automatic, yep. then your mind's free to create other things on top of it. Because yep. I don't believe it's possible on the fly to do that all consciously and I know there's a lot of research on this too that we actually if we're doing coordinated actions some some of them need to be actually so automatic that we have the conscious mind focused on one thing so if you've got three things going you know the feet are set as a set pattern and the left hand say is a set pattern then the right hand's free then each one of those patterns with the right hand, it seems free, but each one has been practiced over and over and over gotcha. separately. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, as Austin others too. Yeah. So, yeah. so eventually that, that becomes free, free, meaning that your conscious mind just needs to only sort out what the right hand's yeah. going to do. Right. Yeah. And everything else is yeah. automatic. You know? yeah. Yeah. And that can change, but even that change will be to another one that's very automatic or another pl uh, placement within the instruments of the drum kit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. Now I asked, um, I asked some people if they had any questions that they oh, wanted yeah. to ask you. Yeah. Um, so I had this is a question from Jason Bray. Yes, Jason. Yep. Oh, you know, you know yeah, Jason. Okay, he's great. Wonderful. All right. So, what are some of your, what are some of the major changes you've seen in music industry over the years, and what is your perspective on how these industry changes? have influenced what skills drummers need to develop to be a working professional player? Wow, great, great question. Well, two, two parts of the question too. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, Jason's a great drummer too, a wonderful drummer. Used to work at Billy Hyde's in Sydney. Okay. That's where we first met. Right. And he does a lot of different projects. Yeah, so Jason, um, the way that the music industry's changed in general is well known to all of us, which is the technology has helped us in so many ways. Mm and also really challenged us in other ways. So there are the two aspects to it. Firstly, the advantages are that we 
can create so much so easily with computers and with when it first started it was of course string machines yep the first thing to replace if you like because there is a lot of replacement going on <laughs> yeah yep. we have to address this and so how do we fit it within all um, I do remember that firstly it was string machines for you know keyboards for strings then there was brass and that was a shock that you could actually, actually get whole brass sections yeah. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. and then it was the drums yeah. and the first drum machine I remember was the Roland 808 wasn't it mm -hmm. and it just sounded like a toy and you, you oh come on you've got to be kidding that's going to replace us you've got to be kidding but then the Lindrum machine came in that's it. came in in uh, 1982 I'll never forget it because suddenly all my work went to half or a quarter and you had to deal with that you know rather than get bitter about it or feel oh gee it's all over I thought okay well maybe I should investigate the electronics still be an acoustic drummer and so I got the sin, uh, not the sin drums, but they're called um, Simmons drums. Simmons, yep, yep. And so I had the ones with the really hard surfaces. And apparently, it was the same material that they use for police riot shields. Oh, <laughs> so you had to be careful playing them because they yeah, could jar yeah, you a jar lot, you, you know. Lot. Yeah, but we used to sometimes mic them up, yep. so you get the front the of the stick yeah, yeah, yeah. the attack. Yeah. Anyway, so I did get a little concerned because I thought, oh, gee, I wonder if I have to become a programmer for drum machines. And I, I was definitely not geared that way, you know, in my thinking. Yep. But I thought I might have to for my income because most of the income was from sessions. Yep. Gigs were just extra, you know, it was for fun. So you didn't really think too much about how much a gig was worth, you know, where it's changed a lot now. And so... I went down that line and it just didn't suit me. I thought, no, I'm going to go deeper into the acoustics. And that was around the time, you know, 1984, that I found the meditation or introduced to the meditation path. So that made a lot of sense to me. It all sort of came together around that time. And I was so glad, and I still am, that I keep investigating the acoustic nature of things, you know, yep. of a resonating instrument, whether it be a cymbal or drum or a cowbell or... Once you have resonance, you can do so much with that. Yep. You can always mute. Can you always mute something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very easy. But if you've already got short sounds, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I found. So the change in the industry then was also, rather than coming in and doing sessions for other people, whole groups were coming in and doing their own sessions. So there was much more a good thing. There was more commitment. That groups had to stay together and record their own things. So the, the days of the session musician weren't, weren't over, but it was modified, you know, it was, it was changed, greatly changed. So there weren't so much freelance uh, sessions, you know, you need to be part of the band. And that, that was a good thing. There was a lot more, yeah, commitment and also development of uh, projects. What also happened was um, the touring became different. I think the larger scale tours always still happen because there's enough funding to make it happen, you know, or enough um, money from whatever source. So I do remember distinctly too, and this is relevant in terms of this question of how things change. So I remember being about 18 or 19 and I really was thinking, oh, what if I do actually have to go to America to do the next level of things? And I thought, well, it's going to be the same as here, but just bigger audiences, maybe more money maybe more level of musicians on a larger scale yep. but I was already playing with great musicians that I believe were as great as anyone in yep. on the planet yep. 
So I wasn't attracted to that side of it so much. And what became really apparent to me was quality of life. And so that's why I decided to stay here and do trips overseas when, when it was appropriate and good, good offers, you know. And why I'm mentioning that in, in terms of um, the change globally with music was that it became more global that you can actually release now going forward to now you can release something and it pretty much anyone can hear it if they're looking for it and synchronicity can happen that someone listens to your music and loves it trickier to make an income from recorded music we know that that's really challenging super challenging what's to happen in future we're not we're not sure we're not sure with that but in terms of skills, yes, absolutely. What's happening on YouTube and all of the different platforms and what's available for you to be inspired by is absolutely amazing. You know, it is quite phenomenal. It can be overwhelming. Yep. So we've got to watch that because as human beings, musicians, we've got to be aware that we do compare, we do compete, we do get inspired but go towards more the inspiration than the, the comparing. Because it can be very, very depressing for a lot of people to see the level that's out there. And there's so many at a high, high level, you know, technically. What's not always a, so apparent, and it is true, I'm not, this is not my opinion, I think this is the feeling of many people, is that some of the videos going up of, say, drum solos, yep. or guitar solos, bass solos, could be anything, it's towards the wow factor so we're not getting as much of the music and the context so you'll see two seconds of the band playing and then the drum solo and then two seconds coming out you think well what was actually the context of that solo it could have been completely out of context meaning the player's not that musical they're just shredding and going for it and that's great very impressive for a few minutes and then but what was happening in the music that creates the flow into that solo and the dovetailing and coming out of that into the music again. And that's not always apparent. Yeah. And Maybe in those cases it's not actually about the music at all. It's about no. the, the likes and the views and the... Sure, sure. The monetized YouTube. Exactly. Getting the, you know... Getting as many listens and get some money yeah, out of it. Yeah, that's right. And I understand all that because we all need to do... A certain amount of that, yep. within as much integrity as we can muster, and, mm. um, and always have the filter on, you know, the filter of what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. Yeah. Okay, it looks incredible, it sounds incredible, what am I getting? Yep. That's my question to myself. Again, not as a competition or a pulling down anyone, yep. but oh, I'm feeling a bit cold with this one. Mm-hmm. It feels just very frantic and there's not much music or space going on. Mm-hmm. And that's your personal opinion. That's yep. your personal feeling. Yep. Apart, apart from opinion, feeling. Yep. So what am I feeling from this? And then I might not go to similar videos again because gotcha. it doesn't give me anything. Gotcha. There's no exchange of good energy. Yep. And this is now another... Have you got other questions? I've got a couple, yeah. Oh, yep. great. Oh, it shouldn't take too long with this, but this is a big topic. Social yeah. media. I've only yeah, yeah. been part of it in an active way, personal way, for about two or three months, yep. even though I've been on Facebook for six years, apparently. Yep, yep. Um, we just used to put things out for gigs, you know, notifications. I've gone more personal with yeah, it. Yeah. And what I've seen with yeah. ins- Instagram. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All> good. 
you're, you're famous now. You're on the radio. You're famous now. <laughs> Regards from this lovely man having a coffee next door. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> totally de- derailed my own train of thought now. Social media. Social media, thank you. So I've become more personal with it because I was noticing if I did put up a personal engagement or like that I was getting more of the same. Yep. And I can feel and see and I'm getting direct feedback of being an agent for good, yep. not for criticism, not for bad wishes, not for any sort of opinionated uh, back and forth. Because I see sometimes even my friends, music friends or even other friends, you know, getting involved in wars, you know, and I think, hmm, good wishes, but I'll just move on. That's it. And political things, I don't even go there. Unless I can be part of the change, I'll just move on and give good wishes as I go. But what I'm noticing, the things I like, which are spiritual things, musical, beautiful musical things, and things of beauty as well, then I'm getting more of that because it's actually called your feed. So we feed ourselves, we feed others, and it's visible consciousness right in front of us. Yeah. Worlds opening up, personal worlds, it's worlds of what's happening in our current state of humanity. Yep. Good and not so good, challenging. And so I'm feeling that I put the filter on, you know, I, in a light state of meditation if I'm doing the social media. Mm. Of course, it's the commercial aspect. Of course. And that's what we all need to do as uh, artists. You know, we need to allow our things to grow into the public arena. But at the same time, just to give so many good feelings and good wishes and good comments and uplift, you know, rather than pull down. Mm. There's so much pulling down. Mm. And I can see it and I recognize it and I think, well, okay, I'm not going to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah, but compa- compassion for people getting involved in that, and no, it's okay, but yeah. it's actually not okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I just don't go there, but I'm finding that that's a very big change too. The social media has really changed our perception of music too, and I'm really wanting to keep it as organic and open and loving and embracing and connective as, as possible, which is how I play, you know, why would I <clears throat> suddenly be different on social media and be super commercial and it doesn't suit me, you know, but the commercial, if it's done with an inv- invitation and, you know, just inviting people and giving things because we're giving all this stuff for free. Well, this is what I like about your, your Instagram especially, um, you know, as I was doing my research to this interview and I got onto your Instagram and... I, I love it. I love watching your videos. One of the, the funniest ones for me is the, the brush ninja. You've got the, hood, you've got the hood on and you start off with the brush again. But then you, you, you're, you're, you're explaining something as well and then you finish it with the ninja. But then also you're, you're, um, when you're talking about your drum tech uh, clinics that you were doing over the two days, mm. you know, just the way you introduce it and then you explain, you play a little bit and then... Then you say goodbye, you know? Yeah. It's, but it's all so positive. Oh, thanks, yeah, Steve. Yeah. That means def- a lot to me. Thank you. it's definitely not, you know, somebody blazing for the sake of blazing chops. Yeah. 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 Um, I think what I've noticed... Thank you, Steve. I yes, really appreciate that. Yeah. And what I've noticed with a lot of drummers... Uh, this is true of all instruments. When we get to a certain level of technique, there's a lot there 
and we don't need to display it all the time. No. And in fact, when Steve Gadd's a great example of this, you know, is he's got an incredible facility yep. and very, very flowing, even to the point that it looks simple when it's not. Yeah. It actually looks wow. That's not much there. It's actually wow. Yeah, it's it is, so yeah. deep. Yeah. I mean, that's just one example. Jeff, Jeff Picaro was another one, you know, and and I'm just using two names. There's thousands of mm. uh, standout drummers like that. Mm. And musicians that really play always for the music first. Mm -hmm. Now I know that sometimes I don't play for the music, but I know it too. Yeah, well, you're allowed. You know, to, you're yeah, allowed to as well. <laughs> exactly. And I know when it there's a there's a show part of things. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Entertainment part of things. Absolutely. And there's the underneath everything is the core and the foundation really of beautiful, powerful, connected music. Now, that showing of display, if you like, like martial arts, you know, if there's, there's a display, it can be so incredible and so inspiring. Like a lot, a lot of the martial arts films, which I love, you know, the really good ones, yep. like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah, yeah. Hero, do you know Hero? Yeah, no. Oh, beautiful. You've got to see it. Hero, it's amazing. When there are principled core ethics involved, it's wow it's another level yeah that when the display happens it's you feel there's deep meaning and significance in it yeah and honor yep. is the the word honor for me is a very big thing so there's honor within it <clears throat> so that and i often say that drumming is like martial arts seated you know there's a core of energy but seated and hopefully no one's getting hurt <laughs> 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 yeah, great. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I do love those type of films. And I use the Karate Kid, the first one and the second one, as a good example of practicing too with consciousness. Yep. That you record whatever you practice and repeat, record with a certain consciousness, then that's the way it'll come out later. You know, you just speed up the process, same form. Yep. But uh, it's not about speed, is it? speed can be just an emotional effect For sure. it could be the same effect with one brush stroke it could be you know a whole run of notes and it could be the same effect emotionally at a low dynamic of one brush stroke like calligraphy yep. coming back to the art thing again yeah, you know? one you. brush stroke Brilliant. and it's done you know yeah. so i think a lot about these things because yeah. of teaching as well but also yep. what's happening currently in the climate of music making and, and the arts yep. and it's very challenging and there are so many people out there that never are seen or heard mm -hmm. and that's the way it is we within ourselves we need to come home to mm. that and mm. be at peace with that yep mm. well answered okay I've got one from Dave Goodman oh David yep. Dave Goodman yep Another um, dear friend, yeah, well, great actually, drummer. Before I ask that question, we we had a um, we had a drummers roundtable. Um, I did a, see a, that. Did you? Yeah, I yeah. saw that being advertised. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we we did that. And I one must of have the, a listen to that. Yeah, it's great. One of the topics was some travel tips, traveling tips. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and we went went to Dave, and Dave said, and he does apologise about his terrible. Um, Impersonation of you. <laughs> I haven't seen it. No, no, no. Probably, probably just as well. 
But I mean, that's Dave's lovely, lovely quote. But anyway, he says, he says, pack your own tofu, pack your own soy drink, and he says that you bring a, you bring a um, cooker, you bring your cooker and a yep. throne. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I just yeah. thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> cooker and my own throne. It, yeah, well, you just said the cooker's in your. You've got like a barrel throne. The yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah brilliant. <laughs> so I just thought I would. It's bring a little that up bit first. more weight, but it's yeah. really worth it because yeah, I, yeah. I, oh, there's some great stories about that being yeah, yeah. in the middle of nowhere and all yeah. the rest of the band can't find food and. Yeah. I'm the only one with anything to eat, <laughs> but I can't feed everyone, unfortunately. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's brilliant. Um, okay, so his question: What is the highest ideal toward which you aspire, and how do you go about its actualization day to day? Is that from Dave? It's from Dave. Wow. Highest ideal for me is absolutely to make the most beautiful connection with people in the band I'm like a band mum <laughs> yeah right yeah. I know I'm a bloke but yeah, yeah. I, Bob Sedigre is like this too it feels like he's got his arm around you even from the other side of the stage so I really want to look after everyone and I aspire to also make the audience my friends mm-hmm. they're already my friends because they've turned up mm-hmm. that's I don't have to win them over that's just amazing that they're there so rather than fi- finding, you know, followers, I like to make people true friends, you know, like the, the, the feeling of connection. Yep. So what I aspire to is really, in essence, to be a connector, like a catalyst, a catalyst of energy, a catalyst of good connection. And to, I aspire that every time there's an event, it's something that potentially could change lives. Now, I know we're not like doctors that save lives, but we don't know. Sometimes we might be saving lives, you know? So I always aspire to, and because of feedback too, I know that this can happen. Sometimes I've heard 20 years later, someone comes up to me and says, David, I went to this workshop or this concert and I experienced something. And so that means so much to me in terms of, for them, there was something that happened through the music that I'm an instrument for. You know, it's not me, mm-hmm. but I'm an instrument for something greater that can happen to for four people, you know, mm-hmm. a transformation, a shift. Mm-hmm. And I really do feel that that's the core of the arts, that, that the arts can shift things for people and something can change not only for the better, but actually permanently and for a very, very good set of reasons. You know, that, that there could be a new way of living of thinking of of consciousness that's the potential and so i always aspire to be an instrument for that you know and as much as i can get out of the way of that too so the higher energies can work you know right. I, there's so, so many different ways to describe it that that's right. the feeling and i know you're yep. getting the feeling of that yeah yeah, yeah. and how i do that is tune up every day if i'm going to be an instrument i need to tune myself and mm-hmm. so my meditation my spiritual study every day uh, my interactions, my, the way I speak, the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I eat, you know, I, I just really, without any tension, I want to pay attention to all those things and even the way I breathe and look at things and look at people, you know, that I'm not judgmental or I know what's going on, but 
uh, again, this feeling of wanting to be an agent of good, you know, mm-hmm. as much as possible. Mm-hmm. hope that answers the question. It's a yeah, it deep does. question. Yeah, 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 totally. I think that's pretty much covered everything. Hey. And more. And more. Um, Steve, you really appreciate this yeah, opportunity, look, mate. Yeah, yeah and I also want to say I wish there was more people like you in the world, to be perfectly honest. Thank you. There are. Yeah, yeah. There are many. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, can I give a visual which we won't see on this podcast, but my hand is sloping downwards. This is what the news shows us. This is my left hand going down, 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 showing the descent and downfall, pollution, corruption, all that stuff. Chaos, you know, really. That's what the news shows us. My my right hand is doing an upward curve now, showing at the same time there's the rise of consciousness. So there are many like me, maybe not in the music field that are visible mm. but and even in the world not visible people that are you know because like Sam you know and many others in the music world we're quite visible to whatever extent that our career allows at this point but there are many people behind the scenes doing great great work yeah, yeah. you know spirit work yeah. um, you could say like light workers or people of the light meaning human beings but really wanting to be angels, you know, and it's really, there are many people that are contributing to the change that's going to happen. And it's happening. It's already happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I say unfortunately, it's just the way it is. What we see visible is only the chaos. Yeah. And There's a lot of it at the moment. Yeah, lots, lots. Yeah. And, you know, okay, there's that, but we need to now go deeper and not pay too much attention to that and let it, let it influence the heart and the mind too much know that it's happening and know that I can be an agent of the change you know and a beautiful quote I think Gandhi or someone like that said you know be the change that mm. you want to see mm. rather than complaining about it yeah. be the change you know yeah. and that's yeah. awesome David Jones thank you so much Stevie. sir thank you pleasure very much, to meet man. you yeah, um, you yeah too. looking forward to too, uh, catching up with you Thanks again for and the chat. wish I could get to the show this afternoon but yeah, just the um, the time gap between here and the show. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, got to get home to my family. So, um, Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, Dave. All the best. Thank you, Stevie. Thank you, mate.